Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. You know, every once in a while, you just have to chew the fat and sit under the learning tree with a fellow colleague. And guess what? If you're within the sound of my voice, that must mean you're in the seats with once more. As always, my name is Dave Voigt, and uh, well, I'm the host of this podcast, where we sit down with a wide-ranging variety of entertainment industry professionals, and we pick their brain about current projects, state of the industry, how they got started, and so very much more, in a light and in a conversational fashion. And you know, if you like how we do things around here, I'm going to go out on a limb. And assume that you do, because let's face it, you're listening right now. And if you are, hit that subscribe button. Give us the old five-star rating. Hit subscribe on your podcast provider of choice. We're available pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and plus we archive every single one of our episodes over at our In The Seats YouTube channel. So if you can give us a like and subscribe there as well, we'd absolutely appreciate it. Also, don't hesitate to check us out on social media. We're on the Facebook, we're on the Twitter, we're on the Instagram, we're on the Letterboxd, we're on the TikTok, and we're probably at a few other places, too, at, uh, at In The Seats for all sorts of fun updates. And finally, <clears throat> and I do dare say most importantly, please pay us a visit over at In The Seats, intheseats.ca, for all the latest and greatest from the world of film, television, basically the moving image at large, because guess what? If we love to watch it and write about it and talk about it, we love it that much more when you come by and read about it and listen about it. So do us that kindness and pay us a visit. On this episode, we got a fun one. We are talking to a fellow journalist who also happens to be an author, a producer, a filmmaker, uh, a Jill of all trades, as it were. We're talking to the one and only Louise Polanker, who... uh, is the currently the co-host of the Media Path podcast with Fritz Coleman. Uh, it's available on all uh, formats now, but uh, she's directed films. She's uh, been a journalist and interviewed people. She did a great documentary about the family band. She's done some other films. Uh, she is proof positive that, uh, well, in this game, you've got to do a little bit of everything to keep your head above water and stay uh, relevant. We... Uh, we had the chance to sit down and talk with Louise uh, to talk about not only her film work, but uh, the Media Path podcast and just uh, the business in general. But like I said, uh, best way to check her out is uh, probably on the Media Path podcast. Uh, go subscribe. Check that out. It's a lot of fun. But uh, first, enjoy our talk with Louise. Uh, it's a good one. And she called me a professional. So, I mean, I can't argue with that. I like that. But... Uh, Enjoy this one. I know I did. All right, Louise, obviously, just to kick this off officially, I just want to say thank you so much for the time today. And I discovered the podcast, and I mean, I have fallen in love. I absolutely love it. Stop it. You're just <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> now, I mean, I got to ask, like, walk me through sort of the origins of this, because it, it, feels, it feels perfect for you, because in doing my research, I discovered, like, you basically do a little bit of everything. You, you, you don't shy away from one thing. You try to do it all. Right. I I like to see how many areas of life I can be mediocre within. So I'm striving for, I'm striving for, uh, I mean, I guess I'm just kind of that kid who always wanted to make something, but wasn't really very good at the stuff they assign kids, like the arts and crafts or what like I'd watch TV, I'd watch the Olympics, and I'd be like, well, maybe I'm supposed to be a skier. You know, and I, I was always like, what is the thing? There's got to be something that I'm going to be good at. And it turns out that I, I'm just sort of okay at maybe at maybe 20 things that they don't offer 
to kids, like like filmmaking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't in the sort of bouquet of kid activities, water skiing, horseback riding. Uh, you know, though that that's hard, but I can definitely do funny voices on my tape recorder. But I did that by myself. There was no program for that. I mean, maybe now there is for kids that are imaginative and good. Like improv would have been a great thing for me, you know, but they didn't, they did not have that in suburban Buffalo. They didn't have improv class. So yeah, I think I was maybe ahead of my childhood in terms of the stuff that I wanted to try and do. No, I love that. And I mean, it feels like this, uh, the Media Path podcast, I mean, just based on the timing, it was probably born out of the pandemic and uh, not having too much to do. But I mean, talk to me a little bit just about how you and Fritz came together uh, to, to, to make this show. Well, I was that person who in 2004, 2005, when your computer started coming equipped with these programs like iMovie and garage band i was that person who said yeah let me let me see what i can make here <laughs> but so i started podcasting at jump from the moment that you could whatever year that was 2005 2006 i i got in the game early i was doing stand up comedy at the time and someone had said the word podcasting to me and i was like oh you mean you can put on your own show yeah let's go do that because as we were getting those tools, I mean, they coincided, if you recall, as we got those tools on our computer, right, yeah. we could then post our stuff online. We had YouTube and we had you know, these early sort of podcasting sites. Can't remember the names of them, but like where you could host your show. You could even go live and stuff that Mark Cuban was getting into, you know, where you could put radio stations live on the internet and stuff. And I, that guy worked with me at premier radio. So I, I would say to him like, well, how do you do it? Like how many computers, how many servers do you need? And he sort of described this giant warehouse of servers already that he had. This was back in the early two thousands when he first started putting radio stations on, on, uh, on the internet, you know, it was like a whole new thing. And I knew okay, okay, I see some, this is going to be something else where, we have the internet now and we can definitely share whatever we're thinking and doing. And it's going to be a place where everyone can put on a show. And I was all about that. Gotta love it. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm curious because again, you are one of those, like you said, you do a little bit of everything, but I mean, as sort of the nerd, another nerd who likes to sort of dissect things, I'd love to hear the origin of Media Pass specifically, because again, just in listening to the show, I love uh, the breakdown and what you guys do sort of all across the board. Now, what you're saying to me, David, is that you haven't really answered my question, have you? So, <laughs> so I went- The trained journalist, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So my first podcast was Wheezy and the Swish with a fellow comedian named Laura Swisher. And then I went on and did like three more podcasts. And then I think I was just kind of like getting getting some training in so that I was ready when Fritz Coleman retired from his weathercasting job. So he had been a weathercaster for almost 40 years in Los Angeles at our NBC affiliate. But, he, you know, you're not allowed to have a podcast if you're a weathercaster. You notice they don't do commercials. They don't, they don't have opinions. You know, you need to limit whatever you think about anything to weather systems. <laughs> you don't want your weather guy going, yeah, you know, uh, I just, you know, whatever. I don't know. So yeah, the weather guy has to be void of opinions. 
And so as soon as he retired, because he's he's my best friend and we've been friends for 30 years. So I sort of had to abort the podcast I was doing in that moment. And I feel badly about that because I was doing it with two really great guys. But it was during the pandemic and I couldn't do two. I was thinking when Fritz retires, I'll be able to do both back to back. But during the pandemic, we were all trying to figure out how to unmute ourselves, you know, on Zoom. So it was like that was too much of a lift. So I sort of like had to break up with my two podcasting buddies and and start um, podcasting with Fritz. And that's the origin. Yeah, it started. It definitely started during the pandemic. We were not face to face, but I do have a studio in my home. And so as soon as that first day where Fritz walked in and my producer walked in, and do you remember the first day that you were like with people indoors? Yeah, it was weird, wasn't it? It's like eighth grade, right? <laughs> You're just standing there going, um, yeah. Like you don't even know like how to say things like this is uh, you're right here. Okay. What should I say? Yeah. So <laughs> what we did, we got our vaccinations and we kind of, we came back in, in person and I've got a really cool studio that I'd been building up throughout all my podcasts. And I was, you know, we were ready to go and a lot of our guests are still over zoom, but then, you know, I'd say one in three will come over because it's fun to come over and be with people. No, absolutely. In real life is overrated, you know, I mean, and underrated. I mean, it's, it's one of yeah, those, yeah. we forgot how good it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, Tuesday, uh, do you know, com uh, comedian Craig Shoemaker? He came yes. over, he came over, uh, this week we just posted the show and that was fun. Now. I mean, I'm curious because it definitely feels like the podcast space allows for multi-dimensional performers or multi-dimensional people to really sort of express themselves and put stuff out there. Mm -hmm. Like what was it initially for you about the podcast space that sort of attracted you in? I mean, other than the obvious, you know, nature of I get to do my own show and, you know, have total control over it kind of thing. The dream for me when I started, because I was always behind the scenes at Premiere, I was writer, producer, you know, creator and and kind of coach for all of the great, funny, brilliant minds that we had. At Premiere, we were creating content that comedy content and music content that we would send out to radio stations and they would air it. And I was always in the trenches with everybody. But I started doing stand-up comedy and I was asking myself, well, why what why are you doing this? You don't want to be a stand-up comedian. I don't want to in order to be a stand-up comedian to get good, you have to travel and you have to really go in the trend. You have to really go out there and really be a road warrior. And I wasn't will. I knew I didn't want to do that. I was running a company and uh, my life had gone in a different direction than being a stand-up comedian. So I, I knew you're never going to get good at stand-up. You're not putting in the hours to get good at stand-up. So why are you doing this? in LA? Why are you going to all these open mics? And so I I thought, I don't want to be an actor. I'm not interested in being an actor. I'm also not going to be good enough at that. There are people that train their whole lives to be an actor. And I decided that what I would like to do would be have my own talk show and have it be, have, have it be a cross between David Letterman and Oprah. So I want to make people laugh and I want to make people cry. So that was my mission statement before podcasting became a thing. So once that's why I was so excited when my partner, Craig Kitchen, said the word podcast to me. Actually, I think he thought it was two words, but I think he's he's since learned that it that it's that it's one. I think it's one. Yeah. 
And I thought, okay, that's how I become a talk show host. I just make my own and put on a show. I, I love it. I love it. Now, I mean, I'm curious because, I mean, you, you've been doing this for a bit. You, you've you've made a film. You've done multiple podcasts. I've got to imagine it's, especially now because we're at such an interesting time, and I mean, you said the word content before, which has almost become a dirty word, but mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, like in this day of the content producer, like how do you manage to sort of rise above the noise? Because I mean, even for me on my end, I mean, I can see just the amount of people out there trying to sort of hit the algorithm rather than just sort of developing their own voice. And it, it gets frustrating sometimes, at least from my end, just to see how sometimes the really unique voices can get lost in the static. Well, that's a really insightful question. You're you're a very good communicator, David. So you you understand what this is that we're doing, which is that we're having a conversation. Mm. And at Premier and and for Rick Dees, when I when I wrote for him and and did all the interviews, my goal was to n- never have a list of questions in front of me, but to study and make sure I'm extremely prepared. You can write down bullet points of what you want to remember to talk about, but just talk to the person. And what I love about interviewing is that it gives you a reason to go very deep, very quickly. Mm. So you can bypass all the, all the, it's, it's socially acceptable to bypass all of the small talk and start immediately talking about their relationship with their mother. And, and I, I, I just love having those deep conversations. And so I just go ahead and do what I enjoy doing. And then hopefully that's more, more of a meaningful exchange than folks that are trying to hit certain algorithms. And you know what? It makes me so happy that you said that because, I mean, when I started in this game early on, like I kept having my little script with my questions on it and I kept stumbling over my words and kept staring at my paper. The second I threw the paper away, I got so much better and it got so much easier. But you had to go through that process. Yeah. Because we 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 imitate before we innovate, right? Of course, yeah. So you first just have to you have to learn the chords and then you have to practice see if you can sing while you play the chords and and then the next thing you know you don't even realize you're playing the chords. You know, you're just it it's like learning how to walk. We don't remember that we stumbled around for half a year. Uh you know, you you have to go through those those uh rudimentary aspects of learning how to do something you had to write down those questions it's not like you did it wrong and then figured out how to do it right that those are the steps you did it well i love i love that analogy that you bring up because it makes me want to ask about uh cow sills and just how you sort of how that story you gravitated to that story to want to make that documentary Right. Well, that story had resonated for me on a bunch of levels. But first and foremost, imagine getting to make a documentary about your teen idol. Imagine when you're 11 being told you're going to grow up and hang out with the the InSync's or the or the what are they called? We go in the same direction, the one direction. Right. One direction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Imagine being told, hey, you and BTS are going to travel together for eight years. And is that the name of a group? Because, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. The, Korean, yeah. the Korean kids. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you got that one right. <laughs> right. So that's in essence what happened to me is I grew up, uh, you you remain very much in love with whatever you loved at 12. All of us do, whether it's stock car racing or 
wrestling. You know what? You're a boy, so I said a couple of boys. You know, stereotypical. You got one right with wrestling, so there you go. Okay, yeah. So yeah, so if you if the wrestler that you loved walked into your the room you're in right now, like you'd kind of like mildly freak out, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah. And so when I when the internet became a thing and I could Google the Cow Hills and I found out that they one of them played at a pub maybe 10 miles from my home, a fellow fan who saw that I had posted on their little guest book said, you know, you should come to this pub where Bob plays. And I, I remember thinking, yeah, no, I don't think that's a very good idea at all because I, I thought it would be sad. And right, yeah. Instead, it led me towards what I wound up doing, which was answering my own question. What happened to the Cows Hills? Why, they're so gifted. What There's a story here. What happened? And I made the movie that I would want to see. Any regrets going down that path? I mean, they always say you don't want to meet your idols. I mean, I can imagine you were kind of torn both ways. No, that that's a really good. It's a really good question. I think you do want to meet your idols, but you want to meet them as a grown up. You want right. to meet them as a person who understands that your parents are complicated people. Yeah. As much they're not just your parents. They're these whole other things, you know. And so are your idols. They're just like anyone else. They're very three dimensional, and that part is fascinating. So why not go ahead and yes, you might get yelled at by a cow sill. Okay. I'm a big girl. Let's see if we can work our way through this. Cause they, this is a story about them. It's not a story about me. They're the ones who are being vulnerable here. So let's work through this together and, and make the movie that we can all be proud of. It's just like problem solving. And I think I had had enough experience in leadership at, at premier that I was ready to face that challenge. And yes, it was a challenge, but I never, ever regretted it. I'm like super happy I did it. And all of it was challenging and uh, rewarding. And I'm I'm hopeful that it resonates for people that never even heard of them because they come from a family. And this is a movie about a family. No, and that's so interesting you say that too, because uh, it's one of the things I've always been fascinated by when I interview people, because I mean, especially when somebody's plugging a project, there's always going to be the stock questions that have to be asked. But when you can see that little light go off in their eyes and you've gotten somewhere a little beyond sort of what they expect, that's when it gets interesting. That's when it gets engaging. That's when you've stripped away the veneer of celebrity or star and you're just talking to another human being. Right. And then they've said something they didn't even know they thought. For sure. No, absolutely. No, I agree with you on that 100%. It's such a beautiful thing when that actually works. I mean, I absolutely love it. But I mean, just to start putting a bow on this, because I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but especially on uh, the Media Path podcast, I mean, I one of the things I'm kind of fascinated by is especially in this day and age, and we're getting movies about it, and we're getting other stuff about it, where it seems like we've gotten to a stage where we can kind of deconstruct our own pop culture kind of as it's happening in many mm-hmm. ways. And I mean, I'm kind of curious, how do you see that evolving over the years? I mean, especially these days. I mean, thank God the writer's strike just ended. Hopefully the actor's strike will be done soon. But it definitely feels like we're sort of at this precipice between sort of the quote-unquote content versus real creativity and real stuff that's being put out there into the universe. How do you think we go forward in terms of deconstructing which is which, if that's the right way to put it? I think there's always going to be people that want to overanalyze. You know, I remember my first poetry class in college and and walking into the sunlight and thinking, oh, my God, can't, you know, 
I have to I have to get to a place where I understand what everyone is trying to see that it seems like it, it the other analogy is that our products are over engineered everything needs to be blinking in your home and everything needs to be making a sound in your home like really like does everything even pieces of like my microwave needs my attention all the time i remember getting getting a, a like a even getting like a for my nephew i got a uh cd player yeah. And you plugged it in and it, you know, and it did all this thing. So if you were sitting here watching TV, like this was over here doing all this. And I looked at my sister and I said, what exactly is going on with this piece of equipment? And Amy goes, it's very busy. <laughs> and like, and I think that's what we're, we have the capacity to overanalyze everything. And, and so we do, but at the end of the moment, don't you want to just get lost in what you're experiencing? For sure. Without having to think too deeply about what everyone reads into this poem. Don't you want to just look at a piece of art without someone saying, well, I think, you know, because art especially, oh, my God, uh, you know, I don't even know what it is they think they're saying. They're just trying to give the impression that they're important enough to know how important some of this symbolism is or what have you. But. I think it's going to still always kind of boil back down to like a great song is a great song. You don't, I don't have to sit there and know every chord or know every instrument that's deep in this mix. That's giving me a feeling. I just want the feeling. No, absolutely. Right. Just slow down and enjoy it. It's not about the measure. It's not about what lens the cameraman used. It's just about being able to sort of disconnect and have that moment of enjoyment. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we need people that do understand all that because oh, totally. They're, the ones, oh, totally. they're the ones creating the the recipe. So we, we, I'm not, I'm saying it's definitely fascinating to go deep, but for most of us, when it comes to just enjoying the entertainment that someone else created, I would say, don't overthink it. Don't even overthink your guilty pleasures. Like take the word guilty out of it. If you like it, you like it. It's pleasurable. So as long as you get the rest of your responsibilities taken care of, enjoy. And you know what? That's something that's so unique, especially in this job, because we need to be able to have that switch go both ways. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that's one of the things that I've always found people don't always understand. I mean, we need to be able to get the pleasure out of the moment, but also be able to deconstruct it at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think as professionals, we do. Yes. For sure. But I mean, Louise just... Thank you so much for the time. And I mean, you know, you did my heart good saying a few things you did, but just honestly, keep up the good work, uh, keep up the show. And I mean, honestly, thank you so much for the time today. Oh, you're wonderful. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you. Likewise, Louise. Thank you so much. Okay. You take care. And don't forget to, to visit our friends over at Bay Street Video for all your DVD, Blu-ray rental or purchasing needs this summer as they are still open for curbside and some mailing delivery as well. Over at 1172 Bay Street, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, you can give them a call at 416-964-9088. That's 416-964-9088. Or send them an email at baystreetvideoto at gmail.com for any of your DVD and Blu-ray needs.